If you were asked about how the facilities management profession in the UK is developing in 2017, what would you say? Well, you'd probably have a view on worker well-being. You'd likely as not want to mention the national living wage. You're likely to mention budget constraints, the rise in prominence of soft service management now at the expense, perhaps, of traditional engineering skills. And you probably reference the many dramatic advances in technology, data capture and data management. But how do these priorities differ across the globe? What's influencing the way facilities management is developing outside of the UK? There are differences, of course, as might be expected from such a young profession. But there are also more similarities than you think. That's why, to mark this World FM Day, we contacted several FM professionals from all around the world. My name is Peter Kimmel. Okay, um, my name is Kimmel Bile. Um, So my name is Chelsea Peterson. I'm Michael, Michael Muff. Okay, so my name is Pekka Matveyev. My name is Tiago Santana. To ask them about their experiences in their region. Some said that FM was growing in stature and influence. Really, really excited. Um, for me, I believe in the next five years we will see growth that's beyond you know anything that has happened before. You know, it's it's like it's a revolution right now. While others reported that there was some way to go. The curse about what happens in the in in our part of the region is that because they're better, very bottom line driven. You know, most FMs aren't in senior positions enough. Over the next hour, we're focusing on several key themes. The increasing importance of people skills and the customer experience. The need for more and more structured education. The greatly varying state of the outsourced service market. How technology is impacting the FM function. And the perception of FM's value to organisations as seen through different countries. We're painting a picture of the global state of the FM sector. With the help of our international correspondents and live studio guests. Stick around. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening and good night. Hello wherever you are and welcome to Facilities Management Worldwide, brought to you from London by FM World, the magazine of BIFM, the British Institute of Facilities Management. And of course, firstly, a happy World FM Day, one and all, wherever you happen to be. My name is Martin Reed, editor of FM World, and together with our features editor Jamie Harris, we're hosting today's 60-minute session. As you've heard, this is only meant to be a brief snapshot of FM in 2017, (coughs) highlighting just some of the various challenges, opportunities and issues facing FMs in different countries and regions across the world. Shortly, you'll be hearing extracts from our conversations with correspondents covering North to South America, the Caribbean, China, India, Australia, and from across the continents of Africa and Europe. We're also joined live by Neil Everett, commercial manager at BIFM, and from Singapore, Nigel Luca, the Overseas Head of Operations at the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, who is also representing the BIFM's International Special Interest Group today. And naturally, we'd also love to hear from you too, so do tweet us using the hashtag FACMANWORLDWIDE or indeed email us at info at fmworld.co.uk. So without further ado, on to our first theme, and let's start with a shift that's affecting the type of people coming into the profession the increasing importance of soft skills and customer service to the FM function. Over to Jamie. (laughs) 
The shift in focus from building services to customer experience is certainly something the more mature FM economies are experiencing. Let's hear first from Pekka Makbief, current chair of EuroFM, about what's happening in his native Finland and where new Finnish FMs are increasingly coming from. But more and more, for example, in our education, the shift is towards uh, providing services. And there the job title can be almost anything. And actually many people say that the best background for, for a facility manager is a hospitality business background. For example, a hotel manager experience is a very good for working as a facility manager. I have noticed that, for example, uh, the Dutch uh, FM culture is rather much similar to, to Finland and uh, partly also Sweden. And, uh, and, and uh, the Scandinavian countries tend to think about FM rather much in a similar way. But then when you go, of course, uh, the Dutch are the forerunners when it comes to FM education and FM thinking. Uh, and and uh, that's why we also have rather much in common with them. But our perspective and approach to FM with the Dutch is really sort of service orientation and people orientation. Then again, when you go to the uh, German-speaking countries like Austria, Germany and so forth, there it's more that the approach comes from buildings and uh, architecture thinking and engineering thinking. It's a common theme in the more mature FM economies. Further afield, here's Jeff Parnell, Director at A&O Facility Management, on the situation in Australia. Having people skills and being able to manage uh, and relate to how people are utilising the facilities and ensuring that the facilities are matching up to what those people's needs and expectations are, I think certainly has changed a lot um, over the last probably 20 years that I've been involved in the What's interesting is how in some countries the FM's natural ability to interact with both client and end-user customers is a skill yet to be learned or practiced universally. In China, the need for facilities and project managers with strong customer management skills is acute. Oliver Jones, chief executive of international infrastructure developer Chayora, believes that customer service is a fundamental issue. What we found in a number of circumstances is that the ability to, the experience of delivering high quality service exists of course all over the place in China but is not a universal available service which you tend to find if we're doing something in the UK we can hire good people to run commercial properties, industrial properties, residential properties you know, and, and you, know, you can get hold of people. The availability of skilled, experienced service uh, management is very hard to get in China. One of our biggest challenges is how we tap into the best expertise that's available and then take it to a new standard through academy training and customer service training. Because the technical skills are there. You know, people know how to maintain things, but they don't know and fully understand the customer service to a level that we would expect in the US or in, in Europe. But actually, it's the almost uh, it's, it's the intangible dimension and the attitude that is what makes an awesome experience from a very compliant experience. And it's that gap which I think people have learned to expect to a very higher degree here. Someone brings across your coffee and they dump it and it slops a little bit into the, into the saucer is deeply unacceptable service. But you've had the, you know, if you measured the process, you know, you ordered it, it came, you drank it, it was hot and it tasted pleasant, you know. But it falls short on that intangible dimension. For me, the thing that I've, when I've been driving big FM companies here in the UK over the last 25 years, you know, when we set new standards with Simon's FM, with more recently with MBN Trust, this was all about how do you get a group of 
ordinary people to do extraordinary things and then get more satisfaction out of doing it and the consumers of that service be overwhelmed by it because that's great FM. China is a fast-changing market. But in the Middle East, the profession has always had a high-end service delivery requirement. Here's Jason Goddard, Deputy Chair of BIFM's United Arab Emirates Group. Has the luxury hotel market in Dubai influenced the broader delivery of FM soft services? Yeah, I think it has. I think it's driven a five, six, seven-star um, service delivery. And you, know, you coin the phrase a seven-star if you look at a couple of the hotels and the rating is there. Um, it has driven a, a you know, very high-end um, service delivery requirement. Um, I think historically, though, it's fair to say that that has been um, generally delivered, certainly in the hotel market, by in-house services. Um, moving to single source services, and we're starting to see bundled and IFM services um, as a requirement out of those markets now. Okay, so some interesting perspectives there. Um, and just a quick note from Oliver Jones to clarify. He says high-quality service can indeed be found in many parts of China. The point is that it's relatively rare and certainly not a universal approach to business services. And, of course, over here in the UK, we have seen that shift in priority from tech skills to soft skills gradually develop. Uh, Neil, here in the studio, what's BIFM's take on all this? Thanks, Martin. I, I think, I mean, I, I slightly disagree with the, the switch. I think, you know, there is... There is um, probably, you know, at the moment, um, you know, acknowledgement that there's a lack of um, young people studying, you know, STEM subjects. So, you know, the market for, you know, technical people is probably less than it could be. Um, but I think, you know, FM, surely that, you know, the, the, um, the challenge for all good FM is blending the technical and the soft skills together, you know, to create that, you know, fantastic, you know, customer experience. Um, that at the end of the day enables you know businesses to you know be productive and, and succeed. So I think um, there's still that challenge to kind of um, blend the two the two um, the two skills together. Really, you know, the yeah. technical and the soft skills. It's a very broad skill set, isn't it? That's mm-hmm. the issue. Um, Nigel, uh, I hope you can hear me over in Singapore. Uh, you work across a number of territories in your role with the FCO. Uh, are you seeing this same broad shift? We we are the the soft side of things. I would I would suggest that um, particularly in Asia, they're probably one of the leaders in the world in how to serve people. Um, Their their soft skills and their their hospitality skills are very high. Where they sometimes struggle, where the challenge remains, is in the technical side. Saying that. they are very competent within their own countries, following their own regulations. Uh, when we try to impose, in some, I guess, in some regards, uh, British standards, that's when we have our challenges and our technical issues. OK, thank you very much for that, Nigel. Let's move straight on to um, one of the other core topics. And that, of course, is education and the development of FM skills. So, let's see. The training of facilities managers and the demand for it across the globe is clearly an important topic. Yet outside of FM's more mature markets, 
there is much to do in order to make governments, service providers and clients alike appreciate its value. Let's turn first to Chelsea Peterson, Regional Contracts Manager for Europe at the Foreign and Commonwealth Office for a French experience. We do a lot of training, but we actually go back to the UK to do most of our training. Um, And we find that there, we do have a heavy reliance. I mean, the FM industry has a heavy reliance uh, in Europe on subcontractors uh, and suppliers because there isn't that, I don't know if it's the fact that you know, it's it's quite difficult to find relevant training in country. Um, but what we find is that we go back to the UK, do the training, and then we come back and and we don't actually manage the FM team directly. We just oversee the contract. So what it means for us is that we kind of need to come back with the knowledge and lead by example. That's so important. And also... Um, Another example is uh, last year for World FM Day, we did a back to the floor exercise uh, with the FM team. And it was really interesting because we were able to demonstrate all of our learnings and trainings from the UK and what we'd learned on these courses to to the staff, the locally engaged staff, you know, in country to show them that actually there isn't just one way of doing things. You know, there are other ways of doing things as well. And, and that was quite interesting, to be honest with you, because I think a lot of them did realise uh, the benefits of training and uh, and personal development in this field. Okay, let's take a quick tour around the Southern Hemisphere to see what's happening in terms of training and awareness of the FM job function, starting with Mike Muffer in Botswana. From uh, probably mid-2016 up to where we are now, Mm. uh, it's a coincidence because quite a lot has has started happening now. We have seen government, uh, which is the, the main employer in the country, apart from the mines, uh, shifting now to, to look for people who are qualified specifically in facilities management. And uh, the, the, the private sector as well, like uh, universities, uh, you know, have also now, you know, jumped onto that. We see uh, all the ad- advertisements for, for jobs, you know, uh, focused specifically on facilities management. Before, you'd hardly see people just uh, uh, clearly... Uh, specifying because you know it was taken in general terms and I think there was lack of that appreciation that you know we've got people who are specific to this area. Now to India where Telon FM's CEO Manjit Rajain explains how the country's broader education plans are helping FM organizations. India needs till 2030 it needs 1700 new universities with at least 30 colleges affiliated to each to be able to give um, graduation level uh, education to 7% of its population. So we are currently at 5. But the government also is quite flexible and quite logically so because they realize they may not be able to set up so many colleges and schools. So they they privatized in a big way. So 80% of that is private supported by the government in some way or the other or certified by the government. And They also said, in addition to that, we'll set up institutes which are not educating but imparting skills. So a separate ministry was set up which is called the Skill Development Ministry. And that, in fact, has become a great support for the FM industry. Now earlier, or anywhere in the world, we as a company, let's say Tenon FM, has to hire people. No doubt about that. We have to train our people Mm. to a certain level. 
get them trained. The skill development ministry, what it does is, it pays me money to train people, which I would have done in any case. So yeah. I actually save money. It pays me money to employ people. It pays me money to upskill people. So India is a fascinating market with the government working quickly to centralise much of the admin and taxation issues in order to speed things up. Now to Tiago Santana, painting a picture of FM education in Brazil and how the country's FM body, Abrafac, is changing things. Going back to the profession itself, we still do not have a regular course that graduate FM professionals. What we have is, is one MBA. It's funny thing, is one of the oldest in the world. It has almost 20 years also. We have some uh, specialization courses, which is quite open. You can be an engineer, you can be an economist, whatever. You can choose those ones to, to do. So it's about 120 hours. And I have a lot of uh, extension course, about 40 to 60 hours. So just to summarize for you, as a profession, the terminology of FM is still not completely recognized. And in the official labor legislation, it does not even exist. How do we believe this is going to change? And this is a 10 years plan. We do believe that once we have, we can set up a common standard for first what FMs do and this is quite challenging the whole world not only Brazil but the clear definition what the responsibilities of a facility manager number two what kind of knowledge what are kind of basic stuff they have to understand to work as an FM the same thing that engineer engineer has to understand how the beams work how the floors work all kinds of structural stuff same thing we believe once you can define what kind of knowledge they have to have then and so again what are the responsibilities the professionals have to have mm. what knowledge they have to have number three how we create and multiply the courses for graduate and the professionals under this structure and once you have a common base or a volume of people that are certified that are recognized under a couple of standards, then we can start claiming for the official or formal recognition of the profession. As I said to you, this is for the program that started two years ago and is a 10 years program. So we do believe that in the middle of 2020, 2025, we will significantly change this environment in Brazil. Moving north of Brazil, we come to the Caribbean. Here's self-proclaimed FM savant Terrell Melville on the shifts in the island's FM education profile. I would say the caliber has grown, and the caliber has grown in terms of not only the international um, exposure, um, like so for World FM Day in Trinidad and Tobago, where they're having a, a, a one-day conference where they're actually bringing in international speakers and that sort of thing. Um, so, so again, local FMs are, are going to be more and more exposed to what, what best practices are out there um, in, their, in their field. But also the level of education has improved. There's more and more educational institutions 
that are offering higher and higher degree programs. Um, some some actually remotely. So Leeds Metropolitan University. No, is it Leeds? I'm not sure. Yeah. But you know, there there would be there would be masters and facilities programs that are actually offered here locally through 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 channel um, educational institutions. So persons can actually earn degrees from from those types of universities and, and there are a lot more persons that are actually taking them. So we have a lot more graduates than we did five years ago, that's for sure. But it's in it's an emerging field. Consider um, the profile of FM in Trinidad and Tobago and in most Caribbean territories to be where the UK was probably about five or six years ago. Um, so it's an it's emerging, it's being more recognized and professionals are are sharpening this their their toolkit. Now, back in Europe, first, Finland's Pekka Matbiev on the qualification developments there. Then, Hungary's Josef Cerny on the picture in his home country. Yeah, at least at our university, we always have had, when we started this FM education about 15 years ago, uh, FM stream was part of hospitality management degree. And then we had for about the last five years, we had a separate facility management degree program, which was only about facility management. And now we again shifted back to this idea that on the bottom there is this business management degree program, and then students can choose FM major. There's no university which which would would have and and at least uh, uh, a post uh, postgraduate course as we have, but but uh, an MSc course or, or something like that, mm. which is uh, very, very 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 typical in the UK, on the or in Germany. Uh, Ten years ago, uh, I visited a lot of universities, including mine, the, the Technical University. They they did not understand what what I was speaking about, and and it is still so. It's something like which is taken equal with, with real estate as a they it's considered a real estate issue. It's something for real estate developer. And it's very typical in Hungary. Meanwhile, Ireland's Pat Gowan thinks his country and the FM organizations in it have much to do to address a gap between demand for FMs and the qualifications they have. And the education piece is still seeing, and it's on, ongoing education, it's the whole L&D piece uh, that heretofore hasn't been had a great commitment by facilities management organisations or organisations uh, for, for, for their FMs. And we're particularly we're looking at areas where you have the necessary need, not so much for the, the degrees and, and diplomas, so to speak, but in terms of enabling people to uh, be in touch with what's happening and what's best practice in terms of where they're at. And, and certainly with regards to uh, uh, the need for more short term uh, courses and short term training within it. So and again, uh, the need because actually the FM organisations are struggling uh, to uh, bring in people who are uh, highly educated and and, and uh, also, who are aware of what's going on within the FM industry? That the 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 essential the essential piece, I suppose, really, what I'm trying to say is that the growth in FM here uh, has been that 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 we're struggling to keep up with with enough uh, 
educated people and enough people who are trained in terms of FM, um, whereas people have kind of growing into it, we're now ramping up so quickly that people are struggling to get the best people. And of course, the best people within a, a marketplace like Ireland being small, uh, we're seeing the same uh, circle going around. So education on that side and also the whole thing of apprenticeships, uh, I don't think has been properly addressed within the uh, within the industry. And I think we need to look at 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 uh, focusing in on apprenticeships, an important piece of FM development here in Ireland. So training and apprenticeships are clearly areas requiring more thought in Ireland. How about South Africa? We asked Andrew Mason what one thing would help FM standing in his country. Education, without a doubt, education. It would it would have to be, and it the, you know it might have to be a slow burn, but the ability to, to I mean, one of the, one of the, I was actually in a meeting with one of the private training providers. I act um, as an advisor on their syllabus, uh, and we had a discussion the day before yesterday. Um, and the problem is that FM providers have tried to get um, FM degrees or related professions, uh, pro- related um, uh, qualifications is the word I'm looking for, off the ground, and there just isn't the demand for it. So I don't know whether you create the demand through education or you create the demand through through the need for education. But without doubt, uh, in my view, it would be education of the people who can perform the FM and education of the client as to what edu- uh, as to what FM can do for him. So it would be education, 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 without a doubt. Although there is the, the, the one proviso, I personally have a, um, what's the word, an aversion to this idea that we train or educate our clients. Um, I'm a great believer in that clients are on a journey and I think we have to understand that journey and wherever that arc, if you can imagine it as a sort of graph, a, a two, a, 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 an X and Y axis, that arc that they are on, we have to understand where they're going and, and meet them on that arc. I don't think uh, educating clients works. I think it's it's one of those things you have to understand their business and then make it your plan to intersect with that business at some point in the future to deliver a service that they need at that particular time. There is no academic qualification, there's no academic program within any of the universities that focuses on FM. Um, There are property-related, corporate uh, property-related degrees which have an element of FM, uh, property management and FM associated with them. One is in the University of Cape Town um, one used to be in the free state, but I'm not sure whether that one exists anymore. But there's no um, facilities management dedicated um, uh, degree course. There are an, a couple of um, private training providers who um, do very sort of corporate related uh, training. We use a couple of them. Um, we've started to train in-house and use our own in-house academy as one of, I mean, I, I work for an outsourced operator. Yeah. Um, so, so FM is not seen by South Africa as a whole, as an industry that would be well known. You'd have to explain what facilities management is. Back to Peter Kimmel for his view on facilities management education from an American perspective. I think that 
education is changing considerably as well for facilities managers in this country. Um, many more course, courses are being offered online and through webinars, but some courses and topics still need to be taught the old-fashioned way, namely face-to-face. -face. So I think the industry is trying to find the right balance. It's not there yet. And come up with a way to offer the right combination of skills through the various media available. And some of the educational training organizations I'm seeing are trying to address that, and they're offering combinations of courses that are, have online components, face-to-face -face components, and even some hands-on training where people go out into facilities. I don't think we have the ideal formula yet, and I'm not talking about the United States, I'm talking about globally as far as that goes. It's, it's very difficult, but it's something that I think everybody is working on. Over in the Middle East, Jason Goddard sees a need and an opportunity for more training. Right now, attitudes towards training FMs vary. Yeah, I think it's a split market. You really do have still building owners and, and occupiers who do not see the total worth um, and therefore are not training staff. They're not, they don't see the, the, um, the output associated to, to good quality staff. And then you see the, the other end of the spectrum, which you get in totally. And I think there is a gap in this market. I think, you know, you know my, my um, tie-in with Biffum. Um, that is a, an opportunity, as we see as Biffum, to be able to offer training to the market to get people to a qualified state. Um, and, uh, you know, talking to colleagues running um, FM organisations like myself, you know, some of my, some of my counterparts, I think we all see that that is a need. It is there is now a, a quite nice firm market at the top end there that has enough of space for everybody, but we have the ability now to change that market into a much more professional market by making sure that we have trained and qualified staff. Um, yes, education. I mean, you know, that package alone just shows how many different varieties. Uh, of level of education there are and where people are uh, in their journey to getting uh, education in their particular uh, regional country. A couple of cl clarification notes from Brazil's Tiago Santana. He says that while no regular course for graduate FM professionals at bachelor level uh, exists, there are um, various many uh, initiatives at MBA and specialising course level. Mm -hmm. uh, and he also says the term FM, yes, still not completely recognised, uh, and at official level it still doesn't exist like engineer or lawyer. Uh, so, Neil Everett from BIFM, um, plenty of different perspectives on, on, on education and, and the demand and the require, requirement for it. Uh, what's, what's your take? Yeah, thanks, Martin. I think it's really interesting. I mean, it's obviously, a lot of different perspectives there. I think, you know, there's quite a few points I'd, I'd like to, to make. I'll try and make them as quickly as I can. I think, you know, the first one is obviously there's still an ongoing need to, you know, attract, um, you know, good quality people into the profession. I think that's an ongoing challenge that the you know, the, the sector faces, um, and also understanding where the skills gaps are, you know, what, what skills do, do we need to attract into the, into the sector. I think the second point is around, you know, obviously the development of the ISO standard in FM, you know, which will create a, you know, common understanding of, of what FM, you know, is in terms of, you know, a standard definition um, and, you know, standards underpinning that. So I think that's obviously, a, you know, a key thing. Obviously, you know, organisations such as BIFM have already developed 
um, you know, comprehensive um, competency frameworks, because um, at the end of the day, FM is delivered by people, and you know, there's a degree of competence that needs to be to be in place. So I think codifying all of that kind of stuff is, um, you know, a good first step on the journey to, you know, creating the profession, if you like. I think the third thing is about, you know, obviously the different career pathways. A lot of people come in to the profession from lots of different things. So we need to be flexible in, um, you know, being being open to bringing these, these different skills in rather than being very prescriptive about, you know, what they need to do um, to be, you know, seen as qualified, if, if you like. You know, obviously BIFM has developed a, a range of qualifications and, and membership grades. So that there's a chance to become qualified in a number of different ways, depending on, on the background. Um, I think, as Peter, Peter Kimmel said, you know, there's lots of different ways to learn now as well. You know, the kind of days when you needed to go through very formal, um, you know, face-to-face -face delivery of qualifications, you know, that, that's changed. There's lots of different ways now to, you know, continue, continue your professional development. So I think the choice is, is obviously a good thing. Um, but I, I suppose at the end of the day, the, the, the challenge for education in FM is to display the value that it creates you know, to, to the customers, to the businesses that it, that it serves. So I think um, you know, evidencing that is still the, is still the big challenge, but um, you know, some good foundations in place, I think. Great. Okay. Thanks for that, Neil. Um, over to Singapore Live now to Nigel Luca. Uh, what's your view? How much is the education of FMs important to you in your role? It's very important. I, 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 I'd just like to say that I thought Neil's comments um, touched on a, a, some very valued points. It, the recruitment stage, I think, is fundamental. Let, let's not let's not uh, fool ourselves. In the last five years, the quality of standards in FM has definitely increased overseas. Uh, if you even the most challenging countries, you see a want and a need for further education in regards to the growth in, in FM. But I think in the last five years, we, we're just touching the iceberg, if you like. We've got the top. It's, we certainly need to do more. I, I believe that the, one of the fundamental ways into in promoting this would be through the colleges, the universities around the regions, um, the, the, I don't think we're tapping into those enough yet. Uh, I think there is an educational piece to be done with customers. Someone mentioned that on the, the podcast there, that um, putting a bit more emphasis on understanding their business and understanding exactly what they're expecting. Leadership and management is, is being used, and the buzzwords recently over the last five years is, is key. It's down to the leaders, and, and, and the world is getting smaller, opportunities of um, people's progression is, is moving overseas more and more. And we need to take advantage of those skills that are being imported uh, and exported from the UK uh, more. And look to, um, I think Neil mentioned there as well, about standards. That's fundamental. That, that's the thread through it all, really. If we get basic standards and the, the, the different gradings through BIFM uh, packages, and ensure that uh, we become a little bit more challenging in our pass marks and make it a little bit more challenging, um, but maybe more supportive in, in getting some individuals through the, the ranks. And then we look maybe to adopt a trainer-trainer situation across the regions. Um, we need to do far more, I think, in, in our leadership roles with some of the 
uh, more experienced facility management already uh, across in the overseas territories. Okay, that's great, Nigel. Thanks very much. Now to the market for outsourced facility services, which has different drivers the world over. First, let's hear from Chelsea Peterson in France as she talks about the French approach. Yeah, in France as well, the market's interesting because French companies are very protected here in France and companies, there's kind of a stigma um, to kind of go with other companies that don't have those French uh, contacts or or originated from France. So I, I think for companies coming into the French market, it's actually quite difficult. But there is a growing demand for outsourcing and that's affecting the demand for capable facilities managers. Um, simply because, yeah, it's about having the specialism uh, to be able to to deliver the, the role. And I think FM is expanding, you know, on, on such a uh, at such a fast pace that we need people in those roles that are constantly, you know, up to date on on training and, and development and branching off into different uh, areas. You know, it's no longer about being an expert just on health and safety. And here's Finland's Pekka Matviev again on his country's relatively mature outsource sector. The bigger players like ISS and certain Finnish-based big service providers, they are getting bigger and bigger market shares. And we will then see how how it will develop in the future. There's also Finnish um, uh, startup environment is also really... A, rather advanced and which also shows in, in, in FM service providers business there are lots of new innovations coming up whether it's new applications or in a catering business or new applications in, in, in with the, with the utilization of IOT and stuff, stuff like that switching continents Mike Muffer says that in Botswana outsourcing is on the rise there too there is a growing uh, uh, demand for outsourced uh, FM. Um, I think people across have noticed that, uh, uh, you know, one of the reasons is is uh, scaling. People have uh, probably in-house maintenance crews which are not that skilled or which are not trained. And as a result, you are unable work that you expect and uh, sometimes you, you carry out some works in a, in, in a costly manner and uh, you know the turnaround time and, and, and so you find that uh, if, if you are to bring a contractor who is skilled in an area they, they do the work at uh, you know less time so it, it's all about efficiency. In Brazil recent developments some very recent are affecting the outsource market. Here's Tiago Santana. The legislation about the outsourcing activities hasn't been very clear since forever. What I mean. There has never been a legislation say you cannot you can do this, you can do this, you cannot do that. But in the labor legislation it has said that the companies cannot outsource their core activities. And as you probably are aware of, not always is easy to define what's core, what's non-core in most part of the, the organizations, at least in, in a significant part of activities inside organization. Hmm. And it has been a discussion for such a long time 
just two weeks ago, two weeks ago, the government approved a law legislation say, hey, instead of trying to re- legislate or regulate what can, what cannot, let's do the following. From now on, companies can outsource whatever activities they want. It doesn't matter if it's core or non-core. And one thing that one thing that are reshaping the market or changing the way the market is not only seeing the FM the FM business, but also how the companies are being prepared for. We see a trend of consolidation of the same or as much services as possible behind one single provider. The what are called integration of service. So the huge multinational like so so like ISS like uh, group uh, Compass. Mm. They are not only providing just cleaning kind of services, or not only don't, they don't want to be recognized as just a food company, for example. They are very very fasting, reshaping their offer trying to fulfill the full house of other FM activities. How about the Caribbean markets? Here's Terrell Melville on the slow progress made by the large international providers across the islands. I, I would say that it's not growing near as fast enough. Um, even JLL would have had its, its roots dug in and ground in larger countries like Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, um, and they would have done so for multinational organizations. When I was in JLL, they, they did it for Citibank. They still do. Um, but of course, Citibank doesn't have like a large presence in most of these Caribbean islands. They only have a presence in like about six of them. Um, but what I've found is that because there are multinational organizations that actually operate in, in, in these territories, it's a nice in roads for a company like JLL to be able to do this stuff or, you know, ISS or CBRE or anything like that. Um, I'm sure they will have their metrics as to what will make it profitable. But in terms of a single source, single source service provider, um, there aren't that many. I know there is one in Trinidad and Tobago that tends to be top of the market. There's another one that's emerging that's actually a franchise coming out of the UK as well. Um, but it, it's slow it's slow. The adoption is slow. Back in Europe, the outsourced service market in Hungary is significant. But, says Joseph Cerny, there are issues surrounding staffing. But today is a, is a, is a big one. There's okay. no question. So, uh, there are, are the multinational companies, there are a lot here in, 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 in Hungary, mainly with, with production sites, that, with, with, with activities with, with low added value. There are a lot, and that they always outsource everything, which is possible because it, it provides them flexibility. They can they can leave they can leave when they want, and they don't have uh, those, those those people. That they so uh, uh, in in the government institution and the local government is more typical not to outsource those services. And it mainly for political reasons, uh, as I heard that, to, to, to keep the workforce inside of the organization. Ah. And there's a so, so, so mix again. 
so with with multinational companies and 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 there are some bigger Hungarian owned companies they outsource as almost everything mm. and in in small organizations they tend to keep the services in house uh, for the service providers in general the 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 uh, the the minimum wage is is uh, yearly in each year is newly is being redefined by the government by government a decree and uh, i've heard from service providers that that could be a big problem for them and uh, uh, i don't know if you are aware of the 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 relationship so the ratio between the the uk minimum wage and the hungarian one uh it is roughly one to three or one to four and not to speak about the living wage Mm. Uh, and so it's a huge difference, and it means the service providers can 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 uh, can get only the the le- the, the the less educated people, and uh, even uh, they can cannot pay them enough in in, in their view, and then then uh, it's a big hindrance for for education if you can take very cheap people then uh, those people are not motivated enough to learn and and uh, to to make to build up their own career uh, i i think so in my view that's the biggest problem by far now that's interesting that comment from joseph about the hungarian minimum wage and his feeling that it blunts incentive because here's 10 on fm's manjeet rajain talking to martin reed recently on what's going on in india right now so, so in India, firstly, what is very good for our business is the minimum wage is dictated by, again, it's two ways. Some in, l- things on the central government list, the minimum wage is decided by the central government. Okay. Some, the state government decide their own minimum wages. Okay. It gets revised twice in a year. Okay. In, in February and in September. Right. Um, it, dep- it, it takes into account inflation and many other factors. It also is dictated by cities, A-class cities, B-class cities, C-class cities, the cost okay. of living, you know. Okay. Like the London wage, but... Yeah. Interesting part is, unlike UK, the client is bound by law to give you that increase. So I don't have to go and renegotiate my contract with the client. Right. So it's not left with the provider. Yes. Because technically speaking, the provider is the employee. Yes. Employer, sorry. Yeah. The client organization has to do it. Has to pay me and I have to pass it on. Yeah, so there's not even a discussion. No. It just happens. The new thing is, which I have pushed very hard, is that we convince the government that certain people who work for this industry per se have to be slotted right. And there was a big problem. An electrician was paid the same rate as an unskilled laborer. Okay. Or... Uh, let's say hypothetically, a security guard was paid, paid the same wages as a cleaner. Okay. Yeah. I thought it, it was quite unreal. Right. Okay. I mean, you want that security guard to you know firefighting, first aid, you know, many yeah. other things, and you say you are going to be paid basic minimum wages of unskilled laborer. Yeah. Okay. Or let's say a bricklayer was getting the same thing as the guy who was carrying the bricks to him. Yeah. Okay. I I, I thought it was quite unreal. <coughs> Uh, a carpenter's apprentice 
was unskilled labourers. As well as the carpenter, presumably. Yeah, so, so, so what I did was, across the last five or six years, me and another a group of three, four people from the industry, mm. we convinced the government. Unfortunately, the government in India, India now is becoming more uh, open to listening. Mm-hmm. Earlier it was, we'll tell you what to do. Yeah. Now they're saying, you tell us, maybe we'll consider it. So, okay. so it took us about five, six years. But the government has just decided to slot these people right. So a security guard now is a skilled person. A carpenter's apprentice is a skilled person. Electrician is a highly skilled person. So there's a ver- there's more variety of skill um, of of um, levels for a minimum. And what does that do? It gives you better pay. Yeah. Because each level is linked to a pay. Yeah. So there's also incentives. So I'm not saying uh, we did not go to the government and say increase the salary. Because that would have been stupid. We said, slot them right. They will automatically get the right salary. So there's plenty going on in India to help the outsource market develop further. And it's clearly set to benefit from both a more liberalised approach to outsourcing, yet a more centralised and consistent taxation. Now to Nigeria and Wale Odufalo. What's going on there? Probably only 5% of what can be outsourced or should be outsourced is actually outsourced now. A lot of companies are still doing FM in-house. You have a lot of what we would call out-tasking in the sense that, yes, they're dealing with vendors, but they're dealing with vendors doing several different things. But in terms of total FM outsourcing, it's still um, very... It's still very slim. We don't have too many, too much of that in the market right now. I think typically what you would have for wholly in-house, you find that more in terms of uh, manufacturing now, um, government, the schools, most of the universities do their FM in-house because they have departments that are dedicated to this. Also in um, hospitality and medical services, a lot of FM is done in-house. Places where you'd find like partial outsourcing, you have the banks and then some corporate organizations. Um, Residential estates is also a big one when it comes to outsourcing because now we're finding a change in in pattern. Before now, you'd find people living in in their own houses and their own compounds and they do everything themselves. But in places like Lagos, Abuja now, you have communal residential estates coming up. And because they are shared services, the shared swimming pool, the lights, the common areas, you then need a facilities manager to handle this. Some of them would typically just employ a facility manager and he'd be part of their management team. But a lot of them are looking to outsource and a lot of them have outsourced um, this aspect of uh, of managing their estates. For wholly outsourced FM, that's strong in oil and gas, uh, foreign, um, the multinationals, like I said, who already have this as part of their operating um, strategy. And then now we're also beginning to see the same in the, in the telecoms industry. In the Middle East, where outsourcing is particularly mature, CBRE's Jason Goddard reports on how the market is developing there. Um, I think we're at sort of midpoint. So I think... The market in general, if I generalise it, certainly across the Middle East, um, is a market that is at that midpoint where, um, just from a percentage perspective, 
50% of the market are still probably moving from that single source into bundled. Um, the traditional uh, corporates are obviously at the, at the top end, as I just described from an IFM perspective, uh, as they are in any other market. The drivers generally within this market, though, are not there for local organisations to get into that IFM space as yet, um, because the sort of commodity purchase of, of labour, uh, labour is still relatively cheap, uh, and therefore it's quite often I think there is still a, a gap between the understanding of the total life cycle cost and the, the savings that can be driven out of you know, quality service provision and output spec contracts. So I think there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's still a very large gap between that of the mature IFM market in, the, in this part of the world and that of the, the bundled single source services. Thank you, Jason. And so to Ireland. Now, we're not going to make much of Brexit today. There's still far too much vagueness in the air. But it is fair to say the Irish land border from the UK to the EU has been in the news in recent weeks. Pat Garrett explains. A lot of the organisations, particularly the larger organisations, are, are, are set up in terms of, of having uh, closer relationships probably with London than with, with Berlin, I suppose, in, in relation to that. And how companies, particularly service providers, might position themselves vis-a-vis the EU uh, as opposed to the relationship that we probably keep within the uh, the islands of uh, Ireland and the UK. So there, there, there are kind of potentials. And I suppose one thing is the unknown quantity factor of what really Brexit is going to be and what is it going to look like. So how about the attitude to outsourcing of services in Ireland? Uh, traditionally, a lot of the services within the public service have by and large been in-house uh, provided. So there is an opening out of... Uh, there is an opening out of um, what's happening there in relation to uh, uh, looking at what the um, third-party service providers can provide to the to the industry. So they are shaping up to um, uh, form better relationships with it and to utilise the, uh, the uh, third-party service. It's quite interesting the way the market has been developed, been developing particularly over the last uh, eighteen months to two years. Uh, because up until uh, then, we had a situation where most of the large service providers uh, had sucked up a lot of the indigenous companies, uh, particularly in the, uh, uh, in the in the Celtic Tiger uh, era that we had not so long ago. However, in the last two years, we've seen a redevelopment and a repositioning of FM service providers, particularly with a, a large growth in indigenous FM organisations. And a lot of that has been reflected by the in-service provider looking outside of the large uh, corporate organisations that have heretofore delivered um, the services. And it is a mix in terms of some of them are niche service providers uh, and some of them are large, uh, sorry, small service providers, but providing a, a sort of a more, I suppose, a, a more homelier uh feel in terms of how they are developing their relationship uh, with the clients. And, and the feeling seems to be that what has been missing from the large 
corporations is the the whole uh, old-fashioned element of, of of customer service and and how it should look like, and that has been reinforced by the rapid growth of uh, of, of of indigenous organisations back into Ireland, and it's also coupled on the fact that more people are embracing facilities management in terms of seeing it as as uh, as as a must-have. Whereas before, it's, it's probably been not looked at in in the same way as it it would have been within the the UK market. In the United States, Peter Kimmel is convinced that the outsourcing of FM services is set to become the norm. I think in the United States, I will say outsourcing has becoming more and more prevalent. Uh, I think that Europe and Asia uh, have always had a lot more outsourcing uh, than the U.S. has, but the U.S. is starting to catch up, but still far, far behind uh, the other uh, continents. And I think the reason we finally are increasing more and more is because uh, of, A, the uh, drive to reduce in-house expenses for a lot of the companies. And although it's just shifting uh, monies and dollars from uh, in-house to somebody on the outside, it still reduces in-house expenses, which plays well these days within our companies. And also... Some of it is these companies no longer can afford to have some of the specialized expertise and even tools, automation tools and so on, uh, that outsourcing companies can afford to carry. So the individual occupiers cannot afford those. So those are reasons for changes in outsourcing. I'm just going to say what's obvious. There's way too much going on in different markets to draw a single clear picture of outsourcing and its development. But as a snapshot of the market in 2017, it's all very interesting. Um, Neil Everett, what's BIFM's take? Well, I think, Martin, I mean, there's obviously a lot of different you know, perspectives there. I think at the end of the day, FM is you know, an, an, an enabling fun- function for, for business. So it's understanding you know, customer re- the customer requirements, the business requirements, you know, for the FM, whether that's outsourced or, or delivered in-house. I think um, probably one of the biggest challenges, you know, across a number of um, markets is the way that the, you know, the procurement and the contract management is set up, you know, um, to enable, you know, innovation to take place, for example. You know, can, can you know, the service providers who are, you know, resourced to kind of create um, innovation, you know, are they um, allowed to do that, you know, within... The, uh, the framework of the you know the contracts that they've they've signed up to. So I suppose there's a challenge there in terms of um, just setting the framework up in order to um, you know improve over time. Okay, uh, Nigel in Singapore. Ho- hopefully you can hear me. Um, how do you see? I mean, obviously you're dealing with multiple territories. How do you see the FM outsourcing market developing uh, through the FCO's eyes? It certainly has developed, not just for the FCO. Um, it's very much part of our um, strategy that we continue to grow around the world using the FM model. But, but it's also the FM model itself has grown dramatically overseas. There's a good reason for that. Some of the industries, banking industry, for instance, uh, and manufacturing industry have gone to a global model. Uh, and therefore, the major players in FM uh, are now winning contracts based on global platforms. That can only be a good thing. Uh, we've talked about 
adaptation and growth there and uh, using technology is, is something that we're going to talk about later on. But, but I, I, I just feel that uh, investments uh, and giving them bigger markets overseas can only be a good thing in regards to the investment type of person um, that they attract then to work on the contract. That can only be good for overseas growth. In exactly three weeks and one day from now, BIFM's Think FM conference will take place in London's Science Museum. Its theme is FM and the Connected World, how technology is changing the way that FM is delivered. Of course, plenty of technology is indeed changing the equation. Here's Australia's Jeff Parnell. Well, I think the biggest shift, um, and it's, it's happening at a very fast rate, is technology and its application to facility management. Yeah. And that's everything from you know, design stuff and how BIM can be utilised in facility management, but also just in terms of managing works and having systems in place to for you know, managing the facility, so capturing work requests, capturing information that's needed, being able to provide effective reporting uh, for the client in a way in which they need it, which you know, even going back sort of 10, 10 years, was nowhere near as sophisticated as what it is now. People are wanting more information that's specific to assist their decision making. And by capturing information that, uh, and using good good IT systems in terms of software, um, it's actually reducing um, the amount of work that needs to be done and making it more effective, both in terms of the outcomes and also what clients from the reporting viewpoint. But, you know, the the software side of it is, is, I think, had significant benefits in terms of making it more appealing to people. And for the US, Peter Kimmel. The huge area where I'm seeing big changes in facilities is through computers, automation, technology advances, all that kind of stuff. It's arrived in facility management in a very big way and changing a lot of the ways that FMs look at data and even manage their buildings, there is more of an emphasis on data than ever before. So that's very big. Uh, We're seeing a lot of the data being collected, processed, and then reviewed through automation. We're seeing smart buildings, the IoT or Internet of Things, uh, handheld devices to collect maintenance data. All this stuff is coming more and more into the forefront. If we go back uh, 20 to 30 years ago, we saw all these different applications in facilities just coming up on their own, like CAD systems for space planning. Then we saw more database space management systems. We saw maintenance systems. We saw all kinds of things in individual application areas. Then they started to come together through what became known as CAFM or CAFM, which stood for Computer-Aided Facility Management. Uh, That then migrated to a little more uh, comprehensive area of IWMS, or Integrated Workspace Management Systems. Uh, So now they're looking at all the FM areas. But what I'm seeing then, what happened in the last five years, is now they're starting to tie, uh, use this data to help manage buildings instead of just look at the data. And that's very different. That involves analyzing the data and then doing something with it. 
To do that, it often needs to tie in to databases that are outside of the facilities area, like the HR, human resources databases, the security and personnel databases, uh, the finance databases from within companies. So things are, are tied together much more. Yeah, I, I think use of technology is becoming more and more predominant. Because Pat Gowan in Ireland again. And it's not necessarily just putting uh, a, a load of bodies into to sort out a situation and solve it. And certainly in terms of uh, a lot of the technology, particularly with uh, handheld technology in terms of maintenance and service of buildings, etc. Uh, that's becoming fairly common in, in terms of its utilisation here as well. Um, BIM is certainly a very big topic in Ireland as well. Uh, in in terms of how it's impacting in and, and the need for uh, facilities managers become more involved in the process of BIM, particularly when we have new buildings and new fit outs taking place and the need for that kind of technology to be at the forefront in terms of how FMs are interacting with the building and making uh, things smarter in terms of effectiveness. And certainly we have a lot of uh, organisations who are uh, who have strong um, uh, facilities management arms to their uh, construction um, side as well too and they very much see the, the likes of BIM as, as influencing uh, how FM is, is delivered in, in, in a smarter way. The use of software in Africa is perhaps understandably running behind other countries. Here's Botswana's Mike Muffer on the more prosaic challenges facing tech take-up in Botswana topics you know here it it would be um, probably computerized maintenance management systems which is not common here in the country uh, but i believe uh, all, all those systems will be taking uh, a shape soon because i you know I, i've experimented with a few of them and uh, when i was studying in the uk i picked my uh, you know dissertation to be um, efficiency of mobile devices in computerized maintenance management uh, systems. And uh, because having, you know, worked through uh, paperwork, you know, paperwork in terms of orders, uh, work orders or, or, or false reports, you know, uh, I've seen the gap or, or the, the, the efficiency that could be brought in by uh, computerizing all that. Yes, we could use emails as, you know, as usual, but that's still would not be as efficient as having a KFM system in place. And so um, the biggest challenge with the, these systems is, is the cost. So you find that uh, smaller companies are not able to embrace the cost. And I believe uh, a, a government uh, will look at that and, and, and try to implement that. Um, so, and, and one, of the re- one of the other uh, challenges, uh, as you've noticed uh, when we had communicating here is the internet speed. Sometimes we have this these challenges of in, in internet speed, such that when you've got a cloud-based system, and probably the servers are in uh, somewhere in Europe or in the United States, if your your, your, your internet is slow or, or, or doesn't perform the way it should, that might interfere with your, your, your system. Yes, the, the, the speed keeps increasing, but I think there's more that needs to be done. And uh, as we, we we get these systems, if they are if they if they are hosted elsewhere, you know you you save a lot in terms of uh, uh, maintenance of the system, you know, 
buying the system and and and, and so forth. So challenges like uh, you know internet, uh, you know uh, speed, and the cost of of uh, uh, computerized maintenance management systems, uh, you know, are, are a challenge in the country. And then when people are not exposed to such such system, they might think you know it's just a waste of of of, of money. But then trying it out, and 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 those are some of the areas uh, I'm passionate about, and I believe uh, as my colleagues get to to be involved, you know, they get to see what uh, th- what that is, is is all about. Wow, really really excited. Um, for me, I believe in the next five years we will see growth that's beyond you know anything that has happened before. You know, it's it's like it's a revolution right now. Um, and I believe now if you have this kind of revolution and you've got people that are inspired and that have tried these systems uh, and probably even way, ways of doing things, you know, it's easy to bring others along. So technology a big deal for the BRFM at the moment? Yeah, thanks, Martin. I think, yeah, I mean, certainly, uh, you know, technology... Technology does offer an opportunity to kind of change the perception of FM, as you said, you know, potentially make it more attractive. I think, um, you know, one of the key challenges is going to be um, providing data that the business can, can use, um, you know, to, to drive the business, not, not, not just drive the FM fu- um, function. So, again, going back to that kind of displaying of, of value um, that underpins, you know, the FM function within a business. So I think that's a key, key challenge and key opportunity. Okay, Nigel in Singapore. I know you had a, a few things you wanted to to to, to say about the the, the growing um, importance of technology to the FM uh, function. Yeah, I, I think uh, certainly what we've seen overseas is a, a growing need and desire to embrace technology uh, across our platforms. But the the one area that we've been able to develop the SEO contracts is the use of apps to allow people to raise work orders through their apps no matter where they are they might be walking on a Saturday afternoon shopping with their loved ones and suddenly realize they've got to raise a a work order they can do that now via the FM app Uh, that's shown uh, uh, an increase in efficiencies it shows uh, a need to be more precise uh, with the details, but absolutely driving service is at the core of that. The, the one area that uh, I believe that we still need to see further use on, though, is the use of the data that we get. Um, I don't believe uh, that we are as intelligent as we should be. Uh, and, and when I speak to like-minded colleagues around the region, I know that they're using data to tell them a story but not drive solution and I believe that uh, through technology through the development of facilities management knowledge we can see a change in direction becoming far more intelligent about where we should be servicing rather than where we think we should be. Yes an interesting comment there about technology uh, uh, and data um, providing the story rather than just simply being a huge amount of of, uh, data that you uh, you have to spend ages uh, wading through. Um, okay, thank you very much. And indeed, thanks, uh, Nigel, for your time today and to Neil um, for joining us here. Uh, and indeed to all our correspondents from across the globe for today's special event. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the on-demand version will be uh, on our website uh, imminently. 
Uh, it only remains for me to say, obviously, happy World FM Day to everyone listening. Uh, and to point out, uh, as we mentioned just a minute ago, that the Think FM conference uh, takes place at the Science Museum. Thank you again for listening and goodbye. Our music was by CDK, Broker Free and Lee Rosevere and used under the Creative Commons license. Check out fm-world.co.uk or search for us on SoundCloud or the iTunes podcast app. To read extended interviews with our interviewees, visit fm-world.co.uk where you'll also find features on the value of facilities management in 2017. We'll be very grateful to receive any feedback, positive or constructive, on this audio project. Please email editorial at fm-world.co.uk and let us know what you think. Thanks for listening.